is the director of people development. So what I do is I travel across the country and I encourage youth workers. I was in Kelowna this week, where by the way it is plus seven, um, and had to leave there. Got home early Friday morning. Uh, was meeting with 120 youth workers who are dealing with youth who are involved in youth centers, um, who are single mothers, uh, people who are experiencing, children who are experiencing all sorts of difficulty. So our job, my team and I, is to provide training for them and to encourage them uh, for that mission. So we have 720 staff across Canada. We've grown, we've doubled in three years. And so that provides some challenges. So as you remember me, um, and you folks pray for me, I know that, and you support me as a, one of your missionaries. So when you remember me, uh, also remember the challenges that are ahead. Um, I was amazed and sometimes, um, what's the word? Heavy-hearted. <laughs> as I heard some of the stories of what kids are dealing with across this country, and some of the youth workers who are attempting to work with them and some of the stresses that those youth workers are experiencing. These are challenging times um, and, and we need to be remembering our kids in every atmosphere that you can imagine. So, and remember those youth workers like Brennan here who are seeking to make a difference uh, and who are seeking to let people know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that um, he is there even at times when we're tempted to think that he is not. So uh, I thank you as a missionary of this church and thank you on behalf of all those missionaries that you support. The money that you give, the prayers that you utter before God, uh, I actually believe they have a multiplying effect. And um, we go out across this land trying to represent you well, but more important, trying to represent God well. So please pray for us. Let's uh, turn to the matters at hand this morning. Uh, I received a letter from a friend named Jen, who actually used to go to this church on Friday, and she is quoting a song from United Pursuit. Some of you may know it. It says this, Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifting my load again. The song is a confession of sorts that sometimes life can be difficult and we don't have the capacity to manage it all. We need the presence and the help of God. When referencing this song, Jen said, I often feel the need to take on more than my part, but it turns out it's not all up to me. God's got it. I've learned, like you, that disappointment comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. When I returned home from Kelowna late Thursday night, I realized that the snowblower was broken down. Very bad timing. Uh, but I know I share the snowblower with the widow who lives next door. She called me last winter just before the snow started to fall, and she said, I have a proposition for you. How about um, I give you my brand new snowblower and you look after snowblowing um, my driveway, which was a great deal at the time. Um, till Thursday night. And I thought, how is this dear woman going to get out to church and how is she going to get her groceries and so on? And so there's been an awful lot of snow shoveling. But I know um, that in light of eternity, the snowblower breaking down isn't the biggest deal. There are way more things that cause us disappointment. There are way more things that are actually distressing 
and are actually disorienting. How many of you watched the uh, Olympics last night, the slopeside snowboards? Anybody watch that? Um, fascinating event. Young guys doing this and, and doing all sorts of salt, uh, you know, somersaults and spins and so on. Some of them, one was called a chicken salad. I have no idea what that means. Uh, one of the tricks. But I wondered as they tumble through the air and they're sometimes doing four or five somersaults, how do they figure out where they're going to land? Because it's so disorienting. There's so much going on. It's bright. There's, all you can see is white in front of you. And somehow they have to choose while they're in the air. There's a spot where I'm going to land so that they can land safely. The alternative is not very good. Uh, landing on your head or a shoulder or your back or something can have catastrophic um, consequences. But there's disorienting events in our lives that can shock us, too, that can cause us to be anxious. The things that do cause us to despair are often finances, our health, our futures, our children, our sin, our parents, and you fill in the blank. I was reading a book this past week called Reading Your Life Story by Keith Anderson. And he wrote this. We live in shadows and darkness, in moments like that, and maybe longer moments of night. But we live as a community of faith, in the presence, surrounded by, sheltered in, under the canopy, as the ancient Jews would have said. By faith we claim there is presence, the living Lord lives, in moments when we see with confidence and when we are filled with uncertainty. If you could move on to, oh, move back one, or up one, sorry. Thank you. There it is. Uh, last year about this time, and it always happens to be winter, doesn't it? You wake up, and there's the snow again. It's still winter. And it happened to be a pretty difficult winter. Um, there were a number of things that were going wrong, or certainly not as I would have chosen them, uh, and then I got some really bad news about the health of one of my brothers. And I remember walking into the kitchen, and I hadn't seen Joanne all day, and I said simply, um, this is not how I thought it would be. And the truth is that for everybody who stands up here and speaks, that as we work through sermons and as we prepare for them, typically um, they work through us first. And so today when I say we, what I mean is uh, me and you folks. These are reminders of God and the hope that we have in him. And I hope you hear that, that it's just not me pointing a finger outward, but this is something that we share in collectively, that we wonder where is God in some of these things? And then we're reminded, yes, we're always under the canopy. Uh, Last winter, Joanne and I kind of have this thing. Well, I have this thing where I pray, uh, and it was, it was a difficult winter, as I said, and I, and I remember praying and saying, God, you know what, just send me something today that would encourage me, some kind of sign that would give me hope, something that would remind me that you are active and that you are alive and you're kind and you are good. And this may sound silly to some of you, uh, but then through this, you can imagine this looking out the window, and all you see is this bleak, white, gray, and there in the midst of it stood this bright red cardinal. 
And so now when we go on walks, uh, on occasion, the other day, Joanne and I were down at the lake, and she said to me, Brett, look, there's a cardinal. What that does for me is it reminds me that God is alive, that he hasn't given up on us, as some have suggested, that he's walked away. Richard Rohr has observed this. He says, the only consistent pattern I can find is that all of the books of the Bible seem to agree that somehow God is with us and we are not alone. The people uh, to whom Isaiah 61 is written had horrible experiences. And I want us to turn there, if you would, for a few minutes, and we're going to look at that passage together. Uh, and this is kind of a passage of um, all that bond causes us to fret, all that causes us to worry, all that keeps us in bondage is kind of lifted off. This is a liberation passage of Scripture. And you'll hear those words, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, and they're probably familiar to a lot of you. Um, written by the prophets, written to these folks who had been oppressed, who had been enslaved in Babylon, and now they've come back to Jerusalem, and things really aren't that much better. It's not what they expected. And so the prophet has some words for them. Now, you might wonder, um, what was the job of these prophets? Well, they had two, two really big ones. They called people to holiness. That was their first one. They were truth-tellers. These were the people who would try to sift through all that was going on in culture and say, does this line up with what we want God to do for us, or is this something not of God that we should avoid with everything we've got? These were people who were not easy to be around. These weren't folks who got invited to an awful lot of Super Bowl parties. Uh, they weren't warm and fuzzy. <laughs> they told people what they needed to hear. They told people what God desired for them to do. So that was one of their roles. Uh, and, and one of the other things that they did was they, they said, um, this relationship that you have with your God, it's not just about Sunday. It's not just about God controlling the worship and the prayers and Scripture and heaven and hell. This is actually about a faith that permeates all of life that permeates every relationship with your children, with your spouse, um, with whoever it is. It can, this is God who has relationship, who desires to be in on your finances. This is a God who desires to be part of your entertainment. This is a God who desires and permeates all of life. So that was one of their roles, is to make people aware of that. The second part of their role was to encourage people with a sense of hope. It was for people who were beaten down to open up to hope in God's future and to get them back on their feet again. Eugene Peterson says this, In the wreckage of exile and death and humiliation and sin, the prophet ignited the hope of opening their lives to the new work of salvation that God is working at all times and everywhere. Let's read Isaiah 61. 1 to 3 says this the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to 
proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's a great passage. What God is essentially saying is there's a time of celebration coming where it's going to lift the weight of all that you're carrying and I am going to shower you with blessings. And there's three insteads in here that I want to bring your attention to. You might have caught as we went through that. Now the word instead is a very powerful word of contrast. And it's repeated three times. The repetition makes the difference between a life of gloom and a life of joy. The triple instead declares emphatically that an exchange is possible, that you can give something and get something better back. This passage is one of liberation, of throwing off everything that oppresses and binds. It is a passage that declares freedom. So the first instead is a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now ashes provide visibility for the inner experience of charred ruin. When these captives returned from Babylon, um, all that they had imagined when they were in captivity is they would have dreams where they would return to Jerusalem and the fields would be ripe with good fruit and the harvest would be plentiful. Uh, but in fact, what, when they returned or even before they returned, they heard these stories um, that the temple was in ruins. The, simple, the, the, uh, the city walls were in rubble. The fields were overrun with weeds. They had longed to come back to their homeland, but their homeland was in ruins. They mourned. Now, ashes gave a visible reminder of that inner experience of charred ruin. Life is awful. Here it is. It's marked on me. Instead, God wanted to place on their heads a garland to represent jubilant victory. The fresh green leaves and colorful blossoms gave visibility to the inner experience of exuberance and beauty. I was kind of hoping last night as I watched the Olympics that as the athletes won the gold medal, they would be presented with flowers. And in the olden days in the Olympics, they would actually wear a garland. And the people of Jerusalem, the women had these elaborate headdresses that some have described like her, uh, turbans, but were full of, of uh, green garland, beautiful spectacles upon their head. It was a thing of honor. It was, a, it was a, a celebration. It was something beautiful. Think forward to the New Testament and some of the stories that you may be familiar with. And remember the woman at the well. She comes out in the middle of the day. She sees herself morally as a failure. She's not of the right religious background. Um, she's got all sorts of things in her life 
that are terrible. Racially, she's not from the chosen Jews. She's not pure. So she comes out, and in a sense, she's ashamed. It's like she's wearing ashes on her forehead. And do you remember what happens? Jesus has this conversation with her, and he says, uh, and she says, one day the Messiah will come, and he'll tell about all these great things. And then Jesus, I love how he does this. He says, I am he. You get the contrast? This woman who walks out with her head bowed down, um, with ashes on her face, more or less. And Jesus says, I am he. Lift up your chin. I want to give you a garland of beauty. You get the sense of the liberation that that would cause for that woman? Secondly, the second instead we have is the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Mourning dries up the face. Nobody wants to see, be seen when they're crying. We're not at our best. Tears rolling down a face leave a face dry and parched. It looks mottled. Nobody likes to be seen crying. <laughs> Instead, oil, on the other hand, plentiful, as they would have been from the olive groves around them, restores softness and moisture. It loosens the facial muscles and makes the skin glisten. Guests who are being welcomed to a celebration would be anointed with oil. That was common in the day of Jesus or Isaiah. Think again of the New Testament and a Jewish ruler named Jairus who had a 12-year-old daughter who was on her deathbed. Jesus entered the home and raised the girl to life. He anointed her with oil, and the faces that were pinched in sorrow were turned glad with joy. You get the contrast again. The third instead is a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, I couldn't write that spirit of despair without thinking about the old movie, The Princess Bride. Uh, some of you are of a certain vintage that you can remember that. You know, the pit of despair. And you imagine what people would have been feeling if they were actually like that. A faint spirit is weak and lifeless. The person is downcast, lacking energy. They have no strength to engage in work or recreation. A spirit of despair is lifeless. Instead, the mantle, on the other hand, which God desired to give, is the garment that you put on when you go out into the world to do something or see someone. When you leave the house and throw a mantle across your shoulders, you are ready to work or play with confidence and zest. Thinking of the New Testament, remember the story of the prodigal son who had lost his pride, his purpose, and his will to live. He was broken and demoralized and shuffles home with his head down. The father, who was a long way off, ran to him, welcomed him, and placed the best robe in the house around his stooping shoulders. He gave him a mantle of praise. Here's this son who doesn't deserve much, but the father welcomes him 
and gives him the very best robe and the best ring and the best meal. He celebrates him. Instead of a spirit of despair, the prodigal son wore a garment of praise. So what does this mean for us? I want to turn for a few moments uh, to Luke chapter 4. And again, this will be a pretty familiar passage to you when Jesus stands uh, in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61, which we have just read. So Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He had just been 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine that. Imagine you're standing before God, hearing this passage, which would have been familiar to you probably, which Isaiah, in a sense, had enjoyed a little bit, but the promise wasn't given just for him, or just in a minimal sense, but Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. That's what Jesus was about. He was about bringing the exchange, the instead of the downcast, beaten, and the trodden, to give them something to celebrate, to give them oil to wash over them, and to give them the very best robe. But sometimes we settle for less. And we forget. We forget that he's good. We forget that he wants to have a part in our lives. And then when we get desperate, sometimes we forget to look for him and all the resources that he can actually bestow upon us. I want us to um, just think about three things here as I begin to wrap up. And the first one is this. How does this affect us to live under a canopy of hope? I think, first of all, that we need to allow God to, our, to expand our vision of who He is. Uh, Braden, if you can show that picture. Uh, this is a picture that was actually commissioned by an artist named David Arms. And I used to have a counseling professor who would say to me, listen with your eyes. So I'm going to ask you to do that for the next few moments, to listen with your eyes. Uh, a theologian and a pastor named Scotty Smith went to David Arms, who was an artist living in the south of the United States, and he said, what I want you to do is I want you to paint a picture of who God is that would describe his story. 
I want you to paint a picture, a grand narrative. And so this is what he did, and it's in four different panels. Uh, and you'll see uh, three chickadees on the side there, and then in the first panel, in the middle of the picture, you see the tree of life. This represents what God wants for us, the beauty, and you see an apple. Now, we're not sure that it was an apple. Uh, pretty sure it wasn't in the Garden of Eden, but that's been commonly accepted. You see the bright blue sky, you see the chickadees singing, and in the first frame, it actually says in the bottom left corner, life. And then as you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know that they sinned, and then we move to the second panel, and the second panel, you'll see that the tree is a bit lower. Uh, you'll see that the leaves have fallen off. You'll see that the sky is gray and overcast, and things look gloomy. And in the picture, we have two ravens. And ravens are really important in Scripture. Uh, they often would uh, show up when there was judgment about to take place, but they would, often, they would also be there uh, when there was a promise about the future. So you'll see that one raven is looking back, uh, looking at the parched tree, but the other raven is looking forward toward the third panel. And that second panel is called loss. And we move to the third panel. And we see once again that the tree of life uh, is elevated a little bit now that there are three butterflies that are moving about um, in joyous celebration because in the middle of that tree you see an empty cross. You see an egg above the tree and the egg is about uh, the promise of new life. Eternal life for us and an eternal life that's to come, that, to, that is to be even better. And the sky is turning a better shade, a brighter shade of blue. And then finally, we move to the fourth panel. And in that panel, you see um, the tree, and it's elevated. You see the shadow under it. And you see the lush fruit on the left side of the panel. And in Scripture, we're told that there'll be a cornucopia of fruit. A new one will be introduced every month. <laughs> so we have all this lush fruit, and you say, Brett, it's not framed properly. Things are not inside the frame. And here's the deal. The artist painted it that way on purpose because the goodness of God was too good to contain. And you'll see that the sky is blue, a beautiful shade of blue. And then you see three birds in the panel. The top one is a red bunting. Uh, the second one is a hummingbird. And then below that is a goldfinch. Those three birds would never be together in nature. What the artist is conveying is that people of different races and tribes and differences under the rule of God for eternity have those things set aside. And they move into God's presence in full liberation and full freedom. Obviously, one panel cannot contain all of the story of God. Uh, but the title of that panel in the bottom right, as you see, is Life. Jesus is about life. And he wants us to experience that.
Secondly, if you would move on, please, Braden. The second thing that I think it's important for us to, to remember is this, is that we embrace the fact that our identity is transformed by Christ. You'll hear it often said, or you'll hear people who live uh, with this truth, partial truth that, yes, we are sinners, but in Jesus Christ, if you could flash back to that last picture one more time, Braden, you'll see in each of the frames there is a red, a scarlet thread that binds each of the panels of the picture together. Do you see that? The significance of that is that through the shed blood of Christ, the final panel is possible. So part of our truth is that, yes, we are sinners, but under Christ, when we've been reconciled to God, as John 1.12 says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Your identity is changed. That's an instead exchange. You are different than you were before. Under Christ, you are his child. Live into that. And third, live with a sense of gratitude. Recognizing this, that gratitude pushes aside despair. I dare you to try it this week. Just think of all the good things that you can be thankful for, all the things that you can be grateful for, and guess what? The despair gets pushed out. You begin to see little places, you begin to see little uh, spaces, you begin to see little red cardinals that push aside those things that are causing you despair. Live with a sense of gratitude. I've been singing this song all week, which has been a bit embarrassing because I've been moving through airports and things. Um, but I've li been living this song, and again, for those of you who are old enough, you might remember this song. God's not dead. He is alive. God's not dead. He is alive. God's not dead. He is alive. I feel him all over me. Remember that one? Forgive my singing. But I've been singing it everywhere. Uh, and what it's done is it's reminded me this, that there's an instead that's going on in our lives that we don't need to settle for all that looks dark and gloomy in February. <laughs> and we can look forward to spring and the joy of being with Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your truth contained in Scripture. And I thank you that you make it known to us that we can have life and that we can have life abundantly in you. And that, Father, you understand all that we're going through. There's nothing that surprises you. There's nothing that you do not know. So, Father, I pray that we could trade in our sorrows, that we could trade in those things that seem to overwhelm us, and that, Father, we could leave them in your hands and that you could carry that heavy burden for us. For we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. The king of my heart be 
the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life oh is my song you are good good oh 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 let the king of
lyric, let the uh, king of my heart be the wind in my sails. And I pray that as you leave here this week, that you would be quiet long enough to allow God to speak to you this week, that you would hear his voice. I was reading a book this week called Reading My Life Story, and what was obvious is that God is always moving, he is always active, he is present, he hasn't given up on any of us. Let us just be quiet long enough to hear him. So go and have a great week, and one of the other great ways that we can experience God is to have some coffee together and enjoy one another's company. Have a great week.